0: This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton.
1: Our second guest is Clarissa Shen, who's the Chief Operating Officer of Udacity, which is um, it's an online education provider. So, Clarissa, welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I was just before the program began, we were talking about, I mean, frankly, we don't have many COOs on the program. Um Frequently, we talk to founders, and you don't you don't end up with founders who are self-designated as COOs. <laughs> so, Clarissa, you're not a founder of Udacity, I'd no, Okay. No. But on the other hand, you're totally immersed in everything that the company does. So why don't we start there? Yeah. What does Udacity do?
0: So we're an online education company that provides um, courses and programs and credentials that is we believe the best way of transforming students um, careers and helps them find the best jobs in the digital economy
1: so it's technology focused in other words it's, it's oriented toward people workers employees in the tech industry broadly defined.
0: Broad, broadly defined i mean there are so many roles though in the digital economy if you think about it right so everything from people who are hardcore coders programmers um all the way up to ai engineers at the very top end, we have people who are becoming autonomous, um, self-driving car uh, engineers. And then you also have programs about people who want to come into tech and making career switch. So things just intro to programming, data analysis, um, business analytics. You really have to speak statistics right now. I think yeah. in any any world um, that you're working in, digital marketing, the marketing world where kind of I grew up in my career has completely transformed uh, over the last 10, 15 yeah. years. And so all those roles largely encompass the digital economy. Every that single, covers a lot of waterfront. A lot. Yeah. yeah. I mean, any, any kind of company I think now is a, is, a, is a tech company, no matter if you're a small, medium yeah. business, mom and pop shop, you have to be online. You have to be on Facebook potentially. How do you engage your audiences all the way up to the large companies of the world like AT&T, GE, um, who are completely transforming who they are um, in this kind of new uh, digitally driven world?
1: So that's that's a great start. We're definitely going to go back and do a deeper dive. But now I want to talk about you, which is you clearly know a ton about this stuff. So what's what's the path that brought you here?
0: So while I was not a founder of Udacity, I've been with a company since very earliest days in the first year
1: when was it founded
0: uh company was founded in 2011 late 2011 and the website www.udacity.com launched january of 2012
1: and when did you join
0: and i joined in uh, april 2012 oh my
1: gosh um so almost at the very beginning then yeah it was early
0: days uh what
1: employee were you what number of So employees? I
0: joined with a batch of people. I think in that week, there are five or six of us who joined. So very unclear what that meant, but we were all under under employee number 20, so in the teens.
1: Early early stage employees. Early stage. Yeah. I was the
0: first business hire, which was also interesting. Wow. Um, when you join a, a group of engineers and, and product people, and they're kind of looking at you, well, why do we need a business person?
1: Yeah. <laughs> so just for p- per- perspective, how many employees are there now?
0: Uh, we're about 500 employees worldwide.
1: Oh that's great that's a great story, yeah, so far, so good i mean it so sounds <laughs> like a rocket ship
0: it's uh it's had its ups and uh, ups and downs, but as all startups yeah. so
1: um maybe you could just quickly walk us through i mean you must have had some previous um work experience before you joined up with udacity yeah absolutely
0: yeah. I, I, A little bit of a running joke internally when I joined was I was one of the the older folks at <laughs> the company when first started um but yeah i i've been i started my career. You know, out of undergrad in consulting, um, I think as many sort of liberal arts majors who are not sure what they want to do and you want went, you to. You went to Williams, as an yes, undergrad? I went, <laughs> I and mean,
1: that's the bastion of liberal arts. I mean, yeah. yeah, okay. Um, yeah. I,
0: I went in as a pre-med student. Interesting um, fact. Um, ended up doing ton of actually not just medicine but arts work, and thought, okay, I want to go into arts. It's more and fun then, anyway. And then I realized, you know, in the arts world, what they needed was business people, right? People who could really help them grow their businesses. And I thought, well, I know nothing about that. I'm going to go into consulting and learn this.
1: Um, So that's where I started. In college, you were doing consulting stuff on the side?
0: Yeah. So during the summers, and um, actually Williams did a good job of matching up with local businesses. Oh, I see. Yeah. um, We did some work there, and I was actually part of the team that with the uh, Massachusetts Museum of Contemporary Art, they had not launched yet. So they had a, a sort of a soft opening team and a group of students that consulted and worked with the, with the museum. And that was really, So it was really a good test bed for, Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. for early Trying stage things out. marketing. Early stage thread. figuring,
1: <laughs> figuring everything out. Um, so, I mean, there are a lot of questions I do want to ask, but still focused on you. Um, there are people who are listening in who don't know what a COO does. And I think as i understand it the coo i mean that definition can change company by yeah. company but if you were to s- speak to kind of a gen- generic or typical set of responsibilities that a coo takes on can you talk to that
0: so actually i would say i don't know if there's a typical set because it how does about, vary how about your set by, of by company <laughs> um, but i will say some things that are um similar theme in in our world I am responsible for all kind of business and revenue driving functions and operations within the company. That
1: covers a lot of ground. So
0: that is, and then I think if you look at, you know, SaaS companies and enterprise companies, it's called a CRO, right? Chief revenue officer in some cases. Um, In our world, because we're still mostly BTC focused um, uh, company, although we have a growing- Business
1: to consumer. Yes, business
0: to consumer. Although we have a growing enterprise focused um, part of our business as well. Uh, It means that its functions like um, marketing, its functions like our global operations and our global markets, um, its functions like business development partnerships, um, those are the kind of functions that would report into me. And our product and engineering, everything that's built around um, our core product, how we service our students, how we deliver, how we build outcomes, that is still reporting directly into our CEO. So,
1: So how many people report to you, Clarissa? Uh, for just approximately right, right now yeah
0: um over I, right now the exact number i think is like 14 um and i'm trying and each to each of those
1: 14 people they themselves have their own respective set of responsibilities yes. and so forth
0: i'm trying to actually make that hopefully S- smaller, smaller. <laughs> okay
1: that's great um
0: we're hiring we're hiring okay so now
1: <laughs> now we know who you are maybe you can um maybe you can talk about the industry so Online education, there was a time not too long ago, I guess they were called MOOCs, massive online... Open online open courses. Open online yeah. courses. Is that what Udacity is?
0: So I've gotten into a little bit of trouble with this because um, I've actually come out and said MOOCs is not our core product. And it's not what I would call the focus and um, of what Udacity does. Um, and the reason for that is massive open online courses were, were amazing and great. And part of the reason why I joined Udacity, this seemed like so much promise in there with just the amount of sort of untapped, um, demand for education that was out there in the world when we, when, when Sebastian Thrun, our founder, um, launched his AI class, right? 160,000 people signed up who knew there were 160,000 people who wanted to learn, you know, master's level AI. And let alone, you know, 160,000 people who signed up, there were 24,000 people who actually finished that class. And that's more than. So the attrition rate's not good. Not good, right? (laughs) Not good. But also 24,000 people was kind of amazing. Not bad either in terms of, you know, if you think about how many computer scientists, um, students graduate every year in the U.S., that's less than 24,000. And here you had 24,000 people taking, you know, AI level class. Um, So there was a large large promise in there in terms of untapped demand and hunger for this kind of Mm -hmm. learning. Um, But as you pointed out, the attrition rate was not great. And from the very earliest days, part of our mission is we want to make sure we have strong student outcomes. And most of the students who came to us, we found they were driven by career outcomes. And for us, our most successful courses were those that we developed with industry, um, so from the early days, we partnered with people like Google, NVIDIA, um, Autodesk to develop courses that would be in high demand mm-hmm. um, for the jobs of today and tomorrow. And those courses, we saw a much higher graduation or retention rate and engagement rate in general with but Let me
1: just, I mean, I don't want to obsess on this and yeah. I, I do want to move on, but isn't, isn't the... The essential criterion that you're charging, and you're, unlike a MOOC where mm-hmm. it's like anybody do, can yes. sign up, you charge a fee. So yes. people pay a pound of flesh to come on board. Yes, maybe the wrong words, but they pay a little, a, a modest yep. fee. Yeah, <laughs> And then they, they're financially they have a they have so skin in commitment. the game. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And, and then on coupled with that, it sounds like you guys are offering some amazing services content. and yeah.
0: engagement too. Yeah. So we because we do focus on that. Um, I mean, we charge, and so there's self-selection that happens there for people who are really motivated Mm -hmm. but we've also built and invested in our product a ton of services um, tied to this people think MOOCs are just online videos online content that you can access the videos almost come last in our process in our in our product we start with projects that are industry-based projects so you get hands-on learning real-world projects and we know that learning and doing those projects is not easy you're gonna sweat But we're going to commit to helping you out in that process, right? So we have mentors, we have project reviewers who are actually code reviewers. So they will review line by line the code that you're writing for some of these projects, give you feedback, help you.
1: Wow. So it's a service platform as well. Yes. It is
0: actually probably behind the scenes, a larger service platform than you would even imagine, um, and we've built a ton of, obviously, data, AI, productization behind that so that it scales globally and we can help our students around oh, the world. That's
1: remarkable. Let, let, so talk about, um, I take it it's a huge market, online education in yes. all its forms. I mean, that covers a lot of companies yeah. and content and packaging yeah. from a marketing standpoint. And you're in the middle. I mean, Udacity's in the middle of all this, right? Yeah. With it, with, it's with, a, I mean, it's, it's interesting.
0: Depending <laughs> on how you define the market, right, the market can be, Graduate education in the U.S. is an $80 billion um, market. U.S. global, um, if you take it, let's take the global market. Global higher education is over $1 trillion market. And then if you look at just corporate workforce education, that's over $340 billion U.S. market, right? So depending on which angle you look at this, no matter what, it's a big market.
1: So without putting numbers to it, but what what are the... What are the descriptors that would define udacity's market I- international
0: international We are absolutely a global company graduate yes, we tend to we tend to i think play in that graduate space because more, more
1: than more than lower levels is that right? Well
0: we do we have um everything from uh you know undergraduate touching mm-hmm. subjects yeah. all the way through we don't even think about it as masters or graduate because we believe in lifelong education yeah. right so that means we need to be there and have provide education at any given time that you want to move forward in your career, um, whether it's a promotion, whether it's a switch, whether it's um, reskilling. Those are all areas that you know we think we should be playing, and that's not where traditional graduate ed- education. I understand, uh, right? Plays. Yeah.
1: So it's it's I would say it sounds like it's technology focused. Yes. It's, it's focused on people who are in or want to get into the technology yeah. sector. And it and it has I'm, I'm, don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm just inferring this based on what you're telling me. It it has a it has a rich service platform as well to an it's like a customer success function. Yeah. Is that the idea? Yeah,
0: yeah. So I think um there's many different, you know, models out there and in some ways the boot camps that you hear about that yeah. do a lot of, oh, a lot of that. Like hands on, a lot of support they're limited in scale right because you have to admit that class you have maybe 40 people in a room and you you help that class succeed i think they're most close to kind of what we offer because it's a pretty intense and serious education effort and you're getting hands-on support and you're building you know amazing code every single day that's what you're doing online at scale with udacity um and i think that's kind of we say we're proudly vocational. I think vocational education, at least historically here in the U.S., has been somewhat pejorative.
1: I was just going to say, I mean, in my notes, I was going to put the word as part of a question. Is it really like just a vocational school, which has that pejorative undertone?
0: But we almost think about it as proudly newly vocational, because in this era where we have so much disruption and fast change in technology and jobs change, and the average graduate today is going to go through 12, 14 different jobs in their lifetime. And we see, I mean, McKinsey had a report out recently that showed there's going to be, by 2020, which is not that far away, 40 million, yeah. million mid-skilled jobs. Four zero. Four zero. And then on top of that, 45 million higher-skilled jobs in these kind of digital economy. That's 85 million jobs, right? That need to be filled.
1: That's a huge market. Filled. Yeah.
0: It's a huge market. And that's not gonna be fulfilled just by traditional education alone, which is doing what it can do. And it's a really important role to fill. It's gotta f- be filled with with other opportunities, other pathways, right? For, for people to get into those kind of jobs. Um, and we think the best answer for the tech industry of not leaving people behind and bringing more people along is this kind of alternative education that should be proudly vocational. It is about getting you a job, getting you a career, getting you advancement.
1: So we have a caller on the line, uh, Steve from um, Dallas, Texas. Welcome. Nice to have you on board. Thanks. How you doing? Good. Hi, Steve. Good. How you doing? <laughs> I had a question. My call just dropped, so I'll, I'll make it quick. Uh, my daughter's 15, and I really want to get her involved in data science prior to going to college, and... Uh, we're looking at platforms, Udacity being one of them. Yeah. Um, and I was wondering if you, you know, do you recommend or suggest any any of the classes or programs from Udacity um, for her to get her certifications or some sort of credentials prior that will help her through college yeah. pretty much give her an advantage?
0: Yeah, I would. Would be remiss not to say you should try out our data analysis program we have a data analytics foundation program even that helps people with um, more limited backgrounds get in on this path towards data science um, and i will say uh, really committing to what we do will really set her apart because this is this is education that will you know get you towards a job even an, an internship right apprenticeship beyond um even higher education. So
1: Clarissa thanks you <laughs> for the call that's great. And our number for people listening is uh eight, it's 844 Warden 8449427866. But I, w- I do want to ask so when you've got um I guess the question I wanted to ask is how you pick content is it yeah. driven by is it dr- driven by user surveys is it driven by um
0: it's a combination of things. Yeah. We look at both what's happening in industry and data around jobs and yeah. skills. Um, but we have an industry advisory board for every single one of the category of schools that we're in. So in our school of data science, we have an industry advisory board. Um, these are subject matter experts from companies like Starbucks, Facebook, you know, these large companies that have uh, large data science needs. And they on a monthly basis come in and review our curriculum at any given time, provide us feedback on what's available and then tell us what's coming next so we can get ahead of that and teach the most relevant and up-to-date skills. And it can be as as simple as sort of, I'll take our school of programming um, and a mobile, you know, Android coming in and say, our our Google experts coming in and telling us, hey, the next Android studio is going to be X and these are the focus areas and so we better update our Android curriculum to focus on those or it can be as big as hey this whole new technology is coming out so when google open source tensorflow um, it's AI platform uh, we knew about it ahead of time so the day that they announced that tensorflow was going open source we had a course for that so it can be as big as something like that or as small as hey these new versions are coming out and we better be on top of the so you're touching
1: on a couple of themes but one of them is it's clear that there's a synergy here when google comes to you and they're anticipating they've you know they're going to need talent in this mm-hmm. particular area yeah and we can we can in effect anticipate that and we can get udacity on board starting to lay the groundwork for this talent yeah i mean so it is very uh complementary is that a fair statement
0: yeah absolutely i think or is, this- it,
1: is it more than just
0: They see it as ecosystem,
1: right, support. Do you formalize that with a contract or some sort of a relationship with these, you know, these big tech companies?
0: In many of the big tech companies, we do have formal partnerships and relationships um, with them. In some cases, as far as contracting um, specifically with them on committing to certain kind of curriculum development. Um, But in other cases, it's more about uh, a sort of relationship where they're on our advisory board and they provide a subject matter expertise and evaluation of our curriculum.
1: Yeah. So I want to come back to you as a COO. And you said at the beginning, um, in some organizations, enterprise software or SaaS companies, they call it the CRO, chief revenue officer. But I mean, so I get, I mean, the revenue piece I get, I mean, you can measure it, you know, daily. Um, Are you accountable or responsible for metrics like, graduation i mean what how many people actually start and finish the course how many people i know you know wharton and all right. business schools obsess about how many of their graduates get jobs right i mean is all that fall on your plate
0: so i would say that's a shared responsibility um across our leadership team um but i think the difference why it's not just chief revenue officer it's Chief Operating Officer is how we operate and how we execute together as a team and deliver on those kind of metrics. So it truly is, is a is team very much, dynamic. Yes, yeah. it's very much on my on my radar and yeah. something that I worry about as well, um, because, and we talk as about in, this hasn't lose sleep over.
1: Yes, lose sleep over <laughs> because
0: one of the things we talk about is the business is only going to do as well as our product does, and our product is at the core of everything and that means it has to drive certain kind of engagement rates, it has to drive certain kind of graduation rates, it has to drive certain amount of outcomes for our students, economic out- outcomes in fact, right? We want to make sure our students are actually getting promotions, are actually getting job opportunities and that's that's a team effort, right? That I work with our VP of product, our VP of student experience, our, our VP of careers, right? Um, and, and obviously our CEO is very much in there and, and on top of us every day about these things. So, yeah. um, it is a, it is a group effort.
1: So, um, I'm, re- I'm remiss because I wanted to set the stage for Udacity. So what, just as a snapshot, how many employees, you said 500 employees, right. the company was formed in 2011, Right. launched its, uh, 2012, launched 2012 China, yeah. so it's been around for six or seven years yep. at this point point. and, um, venture backed. Yes. How much money has the company raised at this point?
0: We've raised 163 I should know this. 163 million
1: a little a little over 163 million. So that's that's a lot of equity capital coming into the company which I mean the way I interpret that is that is a that is a it's a validation that this business model is thriving. Is that is that an overstatement?
0: Yeah, it's a validation or it's a belief in a the belief, future and right. the
1: opportunity. It's right? Aspirational. It's also aspirational, <laughs> to be clear.
0: Right? Um, it's a belief that this opportunity and that the space is really, really big, and that there's real impact to be
1: had. Yeah. Where, where is the company, by the way, Udacity? Where, where are based, the headquarters? We're
0: based in, uh, headquartered in Mountain View.
1: Okay, and then you have? Do you have? Are you all in Mountain View, or? So
0: we now have we have a satellite office here in San Francisco as well.
1: Where is it? I'm just curious.
0: It's over on. Uh, um, Harris, Harrison. Also. Harrison. Yeah. We're, we're right on Harrison yeah, we're here. We're further yeah. down. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. but we
1: are to know we are looking for a new space as well. But you said growing. it's international as well. Do you have offices off? Uh, yes. Outside so the we States? have
0: offices in Shanghai. Yeah. Um, in China, we have offices in Delhi in India and in Sao Paulo and Brazil, uh, office in Dubai in Middle in UAE. So in, you're
1: truly targeting international markets. Yes, in different languages, different content.
0: We went through two years ago a huge international effort and um, and, and including localization, right? Of which of is our a services. huge it effort huge. to do that. Yeah. Um, so in China, for example, we offer everything in in, in Chinese, in Mandarin Chinese, including our services. Um, and we've localized oh. our product to, to how do you engage with students in China is a very different way than you engage with students here. So we are on WeChat, for example, and engaging with student groups there. Um, in Brazil, we have programs in, in Brazilian Portuguese. Um, interestingly, I think in some of our other geos, so in India or in Europe, we haven't had to localize because tech is so English oriented and-
1: You don't have to start over. Yeah, yeah. And,
0: and I will say even in markets like China or Middle East or, or Brazil, where we have localization, you have to be, it's an art. There's not everything that you're going to localize because if you want to be job ready, guess what? You need to be able to read technical documentation yeah, that is yeah. still predominantly English. And so, um, in some of our more advanced courses, we purposely keep some things and some terminology in the original language because that's how they're going, that's to, how encounter, they're going to learn it. Anyway. That's how, yeah. well, that's how they're going, going to encounter it at work. Right. Right. And if you're going to be job ready, you have you to do know that vernacular. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, i'm curious so are there are there any publicly available data that you can share with us like the numbers of students or the number of graduates or you know when you guys put a a marketing collateral together you know what what are your claims to fame
0: so we have had over 10 million students who have come through our platform over uh, the last six years yeah over the last six years Um, in our nano degree programs which is our, our core product um, we have at any given time over fifty some thousand students at a um, time at a time taking those programs All around the world around the world, yep. and our alumni community is over sixty thousand some students strong from the nano degree programs, um, and continues to grow at a fast clip. And um, yeah, th- those are some of the numbers that that's amazing to talk about.
1: Just a just a fast uh, interruption here. So our guest this hour is Clarissa Shen, who is the COO of Udacity. Um, I'm Doug Collum. This is business radio, uh, sorry, Bay Area Ventures on business radio, and uh, we're having a great discussion. I wanted to talk about, um, so you're talking about commenting on kind of the number of people that come through the program, and you've got, you're spanning the world. You've got things going on everywhere. How do you find instructors?
0: So instructors... um, That's
1: a a hard one, isn't it? So
0: those are the things that actually, I think, have been really scalable for us because instructors in our world are the subject matter experts who teach the class and help us develop a curriculum. But this is not where they have to log in at every single hour and teach, right? Our, we've kind of oh, um, uh, de-aggregated what the teaching job is. So the person who is maybe creating the content and teaching in the videos or helping us with building the projects may not be the same person. And the person who's going to provide you the code review, the project feedback, that's also not the same person, right? So, our experts are the best experts out there, whether from industry or other backgrounds, who can teach and are very credible instructors online in their videos.
1: And I assume they're they're compensated. They're like consultants. Yeah. The so, company. so yeah. I mean,
0: they're yeah. yeah. So, and then they teach the content, right? But the video is there, and at any given time, someone can watch the video, someone can access the project and the project code, um, but. The instructor is not the person who's going to now, at any given time, you know, s- respond to your question, respond to your project submission, and grade it, right? And give so you that they, what's the
1: word they, It's not synchronous. In other words, you can have the program set and then in a different time zone, it can right. be taught later. Okay. Right. It's, it's um, it's asynchronous. it's asynchronous. Yeah.
0: It is online available for students whenever they need to get yeah. online. Mm-hmm. We do start them in cohorts so that there's community of students who kind of yeah. learn at a similar pace. Um, but the, I think the role of the instructor is, is very different, at least in, yeah, in our, in our environment.
1: Uh, just briefly, can you, what is the nano degree program? What what does that mean? That so sounds, <laughs> tech speak yeah. to me. Yeah.
0: Well, the nano degree uh, program is a term we came up with. And what we tried to capture is that we felt like in this kind of lifelong learning world, we needed a program or a degree program that was smaller and not everyone's going to be able to go back and get another bachelor's degree or another yeah. master's degree. Um, so we wanted a degree program that was there just in time for students. And that would be stackable over the course kind of, the of a career. modular approach to e- exactly yeah, learning. Yeah. So our nano degree programs, um, last between four to six months, mm-hmm. um, in a term. And, right. um, it takes a student about, we expect about 15 hours a week of learning in that three three to four to six months that they're learning. Um, and it's meant to be sort of a credential built by and for industry. Um, for these jobs are in high demand like AI, machine learning, data science, um, programming. uh,
1: Can you give a sense for what what the range of tuition would be for, a, I don't know, a pickup program.
0: So it ranges between, um, 600 for some of our more entry level programs. A, a six week thing. A six no, week no, thing. no. That's a four to six month
1: program. Okay. Yeah.
0: Um, all the way to the high end where we have our autonomous, our self-driving car engineering program. Oh, neat. Yeah. Um, and that's a thousand two hundred per term. Yeah. And I think that's a two term program. So in total about 2,400.
1: Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. So that's a high end. Um, God, there's so much to talk about. Um, the financial model for the company so i it's tuition tuition yeah i mean is there um other sources of revenue I mean, Do you guys provide consulting do you
0: so yeah i mean we have tuition paid by students and we have tuition paid by companies okay. in many ways this that's a, that's a simplified way relationships. right yeah. so many companies actually pay for their employees to be skilled oh, up right so oh. they're taking our programs internally for reskilling and training um and then there's also companies who pay on behalf of students, as almost scholarships to bring in more students into this field, so Lyft and Google and Bertelsmann, some of these companies, they've paid for scholarships to bring in a much more diverse ecosystem of talent and reach people who may not have considered this program before, or for them, who even six hundred dollars is, is, is a lot of money, yeah, um, to bring many more people on board, and so um, companies pay. Whether for their own workers or for future talent and for the ecosystem, um, tuition.
1: So, so maybe you've, you've answered the question, but if you're a, you know, if you're, you know, Facebook and you're right. anticipating the launch of a product, you're going to require a set of employees. Actually, we just did s- that last week to support <laughs> yeah. to support that yeah. anticipated launch. Yeah. Do, do they? Is there some sort of a, a contract term that says we get first crack at, a, at people who graduate from that program? We'd like to have the inside post to see if we actually can make an offer before they come on board. Yeah,
0: so we do have um, hiring partners. And we have a network of about 200 hiring partners around the world who want to have access to our our graduates and want to have sort of first dibs, if you will, um, on students. And so we we try to make those connections all the time. Um, But it's funny you talked about Facebook because I think last week or two weeks ago when they launched PyTorch, we we developed that program with them. And as part of the announcement, they offered a scholarship program and want to have many thousands of students learn that program and eventually uh, take our deep learning nano degree and, and oh, graduate this is, from it's that. A,
1: it's a wonderful synergy then that's yeah. been created. I mean, for people interested in, you know, as you say, I mean, everyone's kind of moving jobs multiple times during their careers. And this is almost, it's not a guarantee of employment, but it is, it's sure and it's you've sure greased the skids to get in that direction, right?
0: Yeah, I mean I think it's also because jobs change so much, right? So actually this week we just opened our, our class for cybersecurity and that's a you know, eight point five million job openings in cybersecurity and, um, and we were very lucky to, to partner with Chronicle um, security to, to develop that curriculum. Again, industry expertise in yeah. forming a curriculum for high demand uh, you know, job skills.
1: I, I want to ask a cliched question though about Udacity, and that is, I mean, it, you kind of pick your time horizon. But where do you see the company going? I mean, it's a private company now. You've got you've got a presence around the world, uh, growing number of students, more graduates. You've got strategic relationships with a lot of the big iconic tech companies. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like uh, you've already conquered. The galaxy.
0: So we think about it as we're still early, early days because we think there's still so much impact to be had. Um, There's still some geographies that we can do better in and go deeper in um, around the world. And there's still so many other tech jobs that we haven't even touched on yet. So we think we're still early days. And if we continue to execute well and continue to go after this, the moonshot that our founder has kind of set for us as a challenge is to double the world's GDP. Which? Where is that? GDP.
1: Oh, GDP. Okay. Yeah.
0: Which sounds kind of crazy, right? How How is an education company going to impact the world's GDP? But
1: directly related. Directly, right?
0: (laughs) But I think um, we think about this as like if our students are successful in learning these skills, they're going to be helping some of the uh, world transforming companies out there do what they need to do to go after amazing opportunities. And also, not just for large companies, but we have amazing students who are graduating and becoming entrepreneurs. And if in the future, one of our graduates you know, is the next big thing and has an amazing startup, which by the way, we have hundreds of students who have startups coming out of yeah, yeah. um, Udacity, we'd be so excited, right? That's the kind of impact that we would love to see around the world. And you know, we think about it a lot outside of the US as well. We can be somewhat sort of, I think, I hate to say the word jaded, but like here in Silicon Valley, there's so many people who are doing startups and who are, have that kind of mindset and have access to this kind of technology, have access to the information. But around the world, that's not true. Many, many places don't even have access to a good, basic you know, CS education, let alone some kind of cutting edge um, you know, skills. We, I mean, so, it
1: is true. People I t- around the Bay Area tend to be a little bit jaded yeah. and take things for granted. Yeah. I mean, there's an infrastructure here that... It seems normal to yeah. people. But when you get outside the Bay Area, it's like, you know, you have to start. And there's amazing scratch.
0: amazing yeah. pockets of innovation yeah. and um, talent out there. And we see those in, I mean, I think it's almost people take maybe China even for granted with on the tech that's yeah. coming out there. But places in the Middle East, places, I mean, we have students in Cairo who have had amazing startup success stories. And I think in those pockets, it can be really, really inspiring to see what they can do and how they can impact not just their own lives but their community
1: and it's nice if udacity can take a little bit of credit for that success yeah, right yeah. yeah we would love well, to see that sounds like the company's goal is uh, intergal- intergalactic domination <laughs> I don't so know. that's that's, that's <laughs> we'll a safe see. bet no. so let, let's come back to you so you're the coo of the company and you were promoted with recently so what where, yeah, where what position did you come out of
0: I was the VP of International um, right before prom- being promoted into the CEO role.
1: Last so, so year. does that mean you were traveling a ton?
0: A ton. Um, so, when I took this on, actually, I moved. My whole family, three kids, my husband, we all moved to Shanghai, China. Um, oh, for how long? It was about two and a half years in China um, to start our international um, sort of expansion. And that was kind of an interesting um, conversation. So be careful what you ask for. With your family. Yeah. Yeah. I I had been pitching Sebastian, our founder, and Vish, our CEO, was like, we really need to go after this global opportunity. And we raised our Series D in many ways on the promise of global expansion. And I was like, we got to go do it. And next thing they know, they came and said, okay, go do it.
1: it, By the way, you're You're
0: it. Right. Um, And so I thought long and hard about it. And two months later, you know, we packed up, moved to China, and. I was employees number one there and had to um, build our international um, team. Wow. And that was an amazing experience. It's
1: a completely different set of responsibilities than what you're, you're doing now. I yeah. Assume.
0: Yeah. Um, although I think it's kind of, you know um, what I do now is almost writ large of what you do when you're starting from scratch in a, in a geography because you're wearing all hats. You have to really care about Such how a, to a operate. Startup, yeah. Like a it's startup. a little, it's a startup within a startup. Yeah. And I think the, The amazing experience part of that and and the privilege of that was sort of, you have kind of early core product here in in HQ that was working. How do you get to product market fit in different geographies? And then getting to hire and work with amazing local entrepreneurs um, to do that. And I think one of the things I'm most proud of is that we've hired some amazing entrepreneurs into our company. And one of the promises we try to make is that, you know, entrepreneurs always have many ideas and many opportunities ahead of them. But if they're interested in education and, and solving this problem, we welcome them in and hopefully they feel have, this is an exciting opportunity for them to build a business within a larger business. Um, and that's what we've done for our international markets.
1: So last fall you got promoted, which is consistent with the adage that sometimes the gods punish you by answering your <laughs> <Yeah>. prayers. <laughs> so now you're the COO of, of a, it sounds like a rocket ship for a company so who do you – I'm going to just ask some organizational questions. Who do you report to? And To our CEO. You do? And um, do you attend board meetings?
0: Uh, some of them, yes. Um, I don't always consistently go to every board meeting, but I definitely contribute to all the board meeting presentations.
1: And, and do you know, Clarissa, is that typical for a COO to report to the CEO and to be part of – again, for people who are listening and yeah. – don't know what a COO does. I mean, I you've think talked the, about it a little bit already.
0: Yeah, for the size of company that we're at right now, so we're not, you know, a, a big company yet. Yeah. Um, that is very consistent. Um, and I think in general, COOs work and report to CEOs, um, sort of as their second, their, their right hand person on operations. Um, in terms of attending the board, I think that varies de- depending, depending on, the on the company. Yeah.
1: So let me ask you another kind of typical question, which is, do you know, or can you comment on what what stage of growth of a company, is it appropriate to create a COO position? I mean, what are the what are the sorts of things that have to be on the table for a COO to add value?
0: I think for us, I'll answer it for us because, yeah, again, fine. there's yeah. many different um, yeah. examples out there. It started to make sense when we were looking at we have a span of multiple markets. We have at least some sort of core product market fit and we're growing at a certain pace. And you need to ensure you have... Operational focus right across all these different functions, um, and that a CEO himself plus his you know his VP team or his executive team needs someone to help lean in on that front. Um, I think part of why I'm in this role is I love getting things done or get shit done right. Yeah, um, yeah. I have a high focus on action orientation. And in a world where we have a ton of data coming at us and a ton of problems sometimes coming at us, um, the roadmap is not always clear, but you need to kind of make decisions in that moment and move forward. And I love rallying the team around that. I mean, it's not just me, but it's our executive team and everyone else. And getting those things done, getting those next decisions, getting those actions happening and operationalized, that's been what i've been focused on um, with the size of the company we're at, we needed someone to to help on that so, front. so
1: Clarissa, you and I were talking during the break, and I made the comment, which is not a surprise to anybody that there, you don't you don't see that many executives at the level you're at at companies this big who are women and so that's too bad <laughs> I, I agree yeah. and that's a, that's a completely set of it's a yeah. different conversation, but the point is when you're when you have that much responsibility in a company like Udacity and you've got 14 people who are reporting to you and you're you know one of your basic missions is to sell people ideas and and to demonstrate leadership and create you know organization and unison and forward motion mm-hmm. i mean how does do you do you find that you get i mean again this is silicon valley where uh you know it's, diversity is is not our strongest suit i mean do you run into issues with people or with uh who challenge your authority or you know, passive aggressive. I, that's too com- complicated. So I'm just asking yeah. a question: how difficult, how much more difficult is your job, do you think, because you're a woman in a predominantly male technology environment? So I, think I would I got say that question, right? Right. Yeah. So
0: I would say internally we're very lucky, um, and I've been with the company for so long that I think that means I've built up enough trust with many of our key stakeholders, yep. and um, have built up that trust to the point that they would, you know, promote me to this position because I have, I have the, the trust of um, people internally. So I think internally, that's been less contentious. That's been not as much of an issue at all. Um, externally, I think there's oftentimes you, everyone has those stories where you go show up at a meeting and, you know, I'll be there with our, you know, VP of business development or, or whoever, and they'll assume, oh, that, you know, they that person who's the male is, is probably the, the, the executive there, Right. I think everyone has those one-off stories but i think it's sometimes context that's just missing yeah um i have been very lucky that for the most part you know when when introduced and when people know who i am i've gotten respect and i've gotten people to listen um sometimes it takes a little bit of extra convincing um but you know I, I i take that as as what we have to do and what we have to do to 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 make impact so
1: um Do you, are you part of the culture setting mission of the company or is your CEO, (laughs) I I mean,
0: I I think that's part of our whole executive team and in the things, frankly, when
1: you've got 500 employees working across continents and geographies and cultures and languages and time zones, I mean, that is a, that's a steep mountain to look at. Yeah. And
0: the things that keep me up awake at night, I think culture continues to be always, always at the top, you know, top three. Um, really learn, learning how to scale a company and thinking about how we scale and cover all those geographies, that's been really challenging. Yeah, And I will say, I don't think we've always gotten it exactly right, um, but it's always been really important and a large part of the conversation we have as an executive team. How do we hold on to the culture that early on allowed us to thrive, allowed us to build the company that we are today? And we want to hold on to that you know as much as possible across all our geographies. Um, that is so incredibly important in terms of how we want to get to success is also part of, you know, who we want to be, how do we want to execute. We don't want to go there burning bridges and yeah. becoming, you know, awful people, right? <laughs> or awful company and awful culture. We want to do that with a strong culture. We want to do that with amazing people who are committed to the values that we have, committed to our mission. And I will say we we're very lucky in some ways because we're kind of one of those companies that has a social mission at the core of what well, we're doing. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Right. And so I think that attracts certain people who really want to care and yeah. believe in that mission. Yeah. And and I think that's been that's been an honor to to kind of work with that kind of team.
1: Yeah. If you're just joining us, this is Bay Area Ventures. Our guest this hour is Clarissa Chen, Shen, who's the COO of Udacity. And um Clarissa, you just made a comment of two or three things that you worry about the most, culture being one. <laughs> yes. What are the other two?
0: Uh, culture, people, <laughs> um, scaling, all of that. And then of course they think our product, right? Are we doing the best that we can for our students?
1: Um, so it's co- almost like a quality control function that, I mean, that's the wrong word, but the the notion is, it is is to make sure is. the product yeah, works yeah. and people it, are happy with it.
0: Are we executing with excellence f- for our customers? Right? Yeah. Because if our students are not happy and if our students are not successful, we will not be long term successful, um, and that's been one of our core values actually from almost the earliest days of Udacity. We've talked about being students first um, and that started with you know our founder you know looking at the twenty of us in a room going, "Well, if anything and we don't succeed, if the twenty of us can impact the lives of twenty students and help them with their dream careers, that will at least be some early success and of course, then we've scaled that from there, right yeah. you know <laughs> if twenty of us can impact two or three more students, and then at five hundred employees now we hope to touch many more students and ultimately student success is tied to our product tied to how we service them tied to how we think about our curriculum development tied to how we think about our marketing and who we are and how we communicate. Um, and so that, that's something in addition to our sort of internal people and culture and how we execute something that, um, keeps me up on a, a, a lot.
1: I, I wonder I, how, um, I mean, a lot of this stuff is new. First impressions. I mean, you know, you've, you've you're in a new position. You've got a different set of responsibilities. Um, you must run into situations where you're like thinking, "I have no friggin' idea how to solve for this one." And I know you've got people around you. you have, yeah, I mean, you've got other people around. But do you ever go outside of your resources at the company? And, you know, run it by if somebody for a sounding board or a sanity check. Jess, I'm, I'm thinking about this really crazy, w- this weird-ass idea. Mm-hmm. Is there is somebody you talk to before you go back to your CEO or one of your colleagues? Do you have a mentor? Do, you have a, a, a do ment- I have like a, a mentor? personal, yeah. personal yeah. mentor? Yeah. So
0: um, I'm very lucky to have – so there's a couple late levels to this. I have an incredibly supportive husband um, who's an entrepreneur in his own right. So I think. So
1: he he's working on his own thing. Yeah, but yes. I think
0: no matter what, right? You will bring your work home with you to a certain extent. Oh and, yeah. Um, I know I have conversations with him about work in general a lot, um, but I think so. And then you obviously have friends that work in the industry that you sometimes bounce ideas off of. But I I think most of that is sort of peripheral and we do focus very much on our executive team, our leaders um, that are sort of around the world and our industry partners um, for input on these kind of kind of things. And then obviously a lot of things we do actually take to students. User and get groups. their input. Yeah. So what do you focus think about groups. this? Yeah. And by the way, I mean, fun fact, even our Chinese brand name, came from our students we uh-huh, actually yeah. we commissioned a study we went to outside consultants we had a brand agency and they just came up came back and, and I was pay just, a ton of money you paid a ton of money and I remember <laughs> I was just not happy yeah right? I thought didn't work none of these names excite me yeah and talked to some of our earliest students in China literally a quick focus group and they came up with so much better ideas right so I, I think, you know, for different things you go to, yeah. you won't always go to the um, students. They won't always, you know, your users are not always the people. Part of who it's just knowing who to go yeah, to for, for yeah. the answers you're looking right. for. Right. So whether it's, you know, at the student level, we go and, and do some tests there and, and get their input and their opinions, or we go to our industry partners, right, um, for for the input. So, so
1: just as a, yeah. as a brief point, there are a number of, when I've asked this question of prior guests on the program, many of them have said, they go to their spouse. Mm-hmm. It's really kind of just having a receptive audience to talk about the support. An idea. I think, yeah, yes. it's just like emotional emotional support, support yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> because they by the way, I don't think there's always a perfect answer, and I don't think there's always a clear path. If we had a recipe for success, right, we'd be doing that all day long. Yeah. And you know, I think a lot of this is having the right emotional support with your family, with your friends, and then from a business standpoint, having a team that you trust in and that you can lean on. And then external partners is part of that too. Yeah, um, And you take your best next step forward and you keep then moving ahead, yeah. right? You keep taking that and not everything's going to work. You're going to learn from that and you take the next step forward from there. Um, there is otherwise, you know, when you're trying to build something new, I don't think if we knew what the recipe was, we'd be in a very
1: different place. <laughs> right. so, so this is kind of a tangential question, but you know, when you're raising Equity at the level that Udacity is, I mean, that is a big hunk of money, and there's a fairly big hunk of expectations yeah. that come with that money. Do you do you find as the company has grown, uh, I mean, putting it aside, I want to. The question is, when you raise that that much money, do you find that the uh, the bar gets higher? People are looking at you with increasing scrutiny and expectation, or is that mostly diffused and focused on the CEO? I mean, do you, do you feel the pressure when you've got $163 million? I think our,
0: our leadership team definitely does. The whole and, team. Um, I, would, I would hope even, you know, even with that diffuse sort of expectations, I hope everyone feels that pressure because I don't ever want us to become complacent and we should have high expectations and we should have high scrutiny. It's a performance-oriented it environment. It is performance-orientation. Or yeah. So setting that aside of, like, whether individuals feel like, oh, because, you know, pressure from the board. I don't think individuals do, yeah. but I hope that they do feel the pressure of expectations we set for ourselves and what we want to achieve.
1: Yeah. L- let me ask you a question because we only have a couple minutes left. Um, the question relates to, um, you're the CEO of a company and you made the comment that one of the essential attributes is getting shit done, right? Yeah. Which is, <laughs>
0: I wasn't sure if we were allowed to say that on yeah, air. <laughs> we are. Well, <laughs> we, we <Okay>. are now.
1: <laughs> so I, I, if you're going to offer kind of an insight to people listening in who are thinking, geez, I could be a COO of a company, but I'm not sure what the essential qualities are, you know, taking a minute or so to think about that or to, to talk about it.
0: Essential qualities. I don't know. I mean, I, how I'm do you, not how very do you, good about talking about myself. How <laughs> okay. do you get
1: shit done yeah. and, and maintaining leadership confidence as well? I Because it sounds antithetical.
0: There's a lot of a lot of this is communication, communication, over-communication in many, many different ways, right? Um, you have to be data-driven. You have to live with the data and look at certain metrics and set those metrics up um, in a way that makes sense for everyone. And then in terms of looking at what, what are the biggest priorities, this kind of relentless prioritization of what we want to do um, and making some hard decisions on that together with a team and then just over-communicating those. I think if I were to boil that so, all down, so,
1: so if things are not going well. I mean, do you take people out to the woodshed and read them the Riot Act, or is it more like a they an would already know? In, hopefully, in persuasion.
0: I would think most of us already know when things are not going well from you know early on, and you're trying to then coach things back into place. Um, and in some cases where we can't f- completely get that back on track, then we have to make some harder decisions, right? But usually. It's never, I would hope it's never a, f- a surprise for those leaders that are involved because they're very much part of that decision process from the get go. They're very much part of trying to make sure we're always on track in terms of what we're trying to get to.
1: Boy, this has been an amazing discussion. I have to say, I've enjoyed it. We are out of time. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for having so, me. Yeah, it's been wonderful having you on board. Um, where can people go to learn more about Udacity?
0: We're online, so www.udacity.com Spell Udacity U-D-A-C-I-T-Y It comes from the word audacity Oh But starting with a U Of course And uh, you can also find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook All the social channels as well Cool For more insight from Business Radio Please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu